Welcome again to the Vantage Performance Podcast. I'm Phil Dobby. Michael Fingland is with me too. Now, if your business is struggling and you don't have the cash flow to survive, perhaps there's some reticence to approach your bank. Maybe if they know you're in trouble, they'll pull your loan and make your situation worse. Well, Michael Fingland from Vantage Performance says that isn't the case because if you fail, well, they lose out too, of course. It is a common fear though, isn't it, Michael? I mean, this belief that um, there's going to be some sort of adverse reaction from your bank if you if you go to them and tell them that you haven't got enough money to to, to make ends meet yeah it, it, there is a widely held belief amongst you know many in the business community that if your business gets into into strife and whether it be a listed company or, or a small one that you know, the last person you want to talk to is your financier because they might just react negatively and, and pull the pin and you know it, it hastens your, your demise and a lot of that comes from previous recessions, and, and as you know, we haven't had one for 27 years. So, mm. but memories do, do do go back, and there's been significant changes in the way financiers manage problem loans, and and it's probably worth just taking a minute to to sort of describe how how the management of of a of a, of a defaulting loan is handled within the banks. Yeah, you know, typically, obviously, you no. Know, once once the file is in. In, at Branchland, that's being managed by the relationship manager. Once you start defaulting, or, or there's a threat of default uh, on the loan, then it's typically um, moved, and the ownership of that file moves from the front end of the bank to the, what's collectively called the workout division. And they're tasked with working out whether this business can be restructured and, and then the loan goes back to the front end of the bank or whether it goes down um, you know, the other chute, which is receivership or, or, or forcing a client to be refinanced. Um, but there's been a dramatic change over the last five to 10 years, particularly the last five years in Australia, uh, as well as around the world, in how banks deal with problem loans. Yeah, so how does it get to the stage where that workout division or whoever it is who, who's, who's dealing with the problem, uh, what sets the alarm bells ringing? Is it is it them? Do they say, okay, you've defaulted now, uh, therefore we're, we're, we're going to take this action? Or is it you approaching yeah. them? I would have thought it would be better if you approached them rather than uh, oh, waiting for them always to Always better. And this is the key thrust of today's topic. It's always better to 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 be proactive, but you know every every loan will have certain covenants. Um, some are some have quite a number of covenants uh, in, in in the loan agreements. Some are very covenant light, but generally speaking, it's a it's a breach of one of those covenants um, that that um, um, sort of tips off the the bank that, that certain certain business conditions are are not favourable and uh, you might be defaulting or about to default, there might be an imminent default. So, so they use those covenants and, and, you know, depending on where you are in your business cycle, you'll either have monthly, quarterly, six monthly or annual reporting to the bank where you have to provide these covenants. So they use that reporting regime to, and test your covenants to see if you're breaching and, and whether that file needs to be handled in a different way. But as was alluded to before, the, the approach uh, financiers take now is totally different um, and a lot more supportive and proactive than they ever have been. And and that's, you know, we've seen that uh, huge growth in the turnaround industry because banks are favouring workouts more and more and more and insolvency truly is the, the last resort. Uh, and But it, it takes it takes time though for that change in, in behaviour to filter through to, um, you know, SME land and, and, and directors out there in, in, in commerce to understand how banks change. And that's why, you know, topics like this are, are good to get the message out there that, you know, waiting waiting until the bank taps you on the shoulder 
um, you're already behind the eight ball. Right, but isn't there a danger that the bank is going to say, well, look, you know, if you haven't breached any covenants, uh, that they're just going to say, look, you know, it looks fine to us right now. Come back to us when you've got real problems. No, um, they'll certainly start working with you. So the thing you keep in mind, and it's probably worth uh, just recapping uh, one of the topics we talked about previously, which is the real reasons why businesses fail, and not to, to go through the points, but just more to, to pick up one of them particularly. So not acting early enough, uh, as we talked about, the biggest issue as to why businesses fail. So this is a central theme that we're talking about today, not acting early enough, yeah. not being prepared to make the big changes that are required, insufficient management training, a sudden impact event, you might have lost a major customer or industry downturn or whatever, and not collaborating with your financiers, number five. Um, that's 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 the really big one um, here. So when it's company or an industry, and, and the banks all tend to look at, you know, they re-rate industries as well, not just your company. So if you're in an industry that has had a lot of... Um, uh, distress, they will start putting a lot more focus on every company in the industry, whether you're going well or not. So you need to be aware of that. But not collaborating with financiers is, is one of the big triggers for reasons why businesses fail. Right. But it's, you're not approaching the workout bank, bank, are you? You're approaching your relationship manager with, with it, within the bank. So so how do they work? So if you're a relationship manager, uh, you're motivated basically by two things and remunerated by two main things. One is the size of your portfolio. So how many clients have you got in your in your bag? And what's the collective size of all the loans in there? Um, so you you want to do everything you can to hang on to that file and not let it drop into the workout team because as soon as that happens, it drops out of your remit and your your bonus structure starts to be impacted. Right. Okay. So I guess that answers my earlier question that uh, that they are going to listen to you because there's this danger, isn't there? That if they don't, then down the track it's going to be picked up by a workout banker uh, and they lose the commission. So they they, they want to work with you straight away. They, they will do everything they can to hang on to you. So and in the last few years, particularly in Australia, it's become even more acute because of Basel two and three and and all the um, changes that the banks have had to make around the world. The uh, they are very acutely aware of the cost of capital. And once a file drops into, goes from you know, being managed in the branch to, to drop into the workout team, not only does that bank manager lose that out of their bonus pool, um, they also, um, the, the, the bank's internal cost of capital goes up. So what it does, the more files that drop into workout, it increases the bank's overall cost of capital, which means it costs them more to borrow money from, from offshore. Um, so they're making less money. So over the last few years, the banks have become a lot more acutely aware of that issue because of the Basel two and three requirements. Um, but the 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 brand damage and the PR impact and the and you know, business lending has been fairly anemic in Australia for the last few years. You know, personal lending for homes, whatever, has been very strong, but business lending has been fairly anemic. So you know. The branches are doing everything they can to to hang on to those files. Mm. Whereas five, eight years, ten years ago, a lot more of those files would have dropped into the workout teams. Right. Okay. So that's the situation that's changed. Uh, your local branch or your uh, relationship manager is going to be keener than ever now, keen as mustard to talk to you. But what I mean, they're still going to look and say, "Hey, you got yourself into this situation. Are they going to, you know, are they going to trust you as as actually being a a good business person?" Yeah. So, you know, perhaps we'll we'll talk through what motivates a banker because trust is is always the missing element, or not always, but it, is, it can be a missing element. So how do you infuse that trust? How do you rebuild that trust? And often what's required, because you're often dealing in a time-sensitive situation, you need to uh, bring in uh, someone who already has the trust of the banks. And, and that's where your turnaround practitioner, chief restructuring officer comes in. If, they've, if you're bringing someone in who has a very strong relationship with banks, then 
you, the business gets a de facto shot in the arm, if you like, from that from that um, turnaround practitioner because the banks know and trust them, and typically a lot of their their leads come from from financiers, so they know that you know you're going to put up a very robust plan. If you're going to pledge that this plan is is sound and workable, the bank already trusts that advisor that that's the case. So you need to. Um, work out how to how to replace or, or create that trust. And often a management team doesn't have time to rebuild the trust that's required. So you need that infusion from from someone that they do trust. Right. And I guess as well as trust, you've also got to show that you're you're sharing the hurt a little bit here. When you know when a when a management team goes to the, the bank and says we need more money or whatever in a simplistic way, the banker always wants to see that there's some shared sacrifice. What are the directors doing um, to assist rather than just saying, can we have more money? You know, are you making those hard calls that we talked about before? Are you making those big changes? What are the directors prepared to do? Are you prepared to put some money in as well? Are you prepared to take a pay cut? You know, you need to demonstrate some some shared shared sacrifice, and that goes a long, long, long way. And a lot of directors don't understand that, but having a, a workout advisor working with you, they will always say, the, the, the odds of the bank approving our restructure plan goes up dramatically if we can demonstrate that we're prepared to take some of the pain as well. And I'm assuming that you should, you know, you should approach the bank if you think things have gone off the rails. You should approach mm. the bank after you've engaged with the uh, w- with a specialist turnaround advisor because you're basically saying, hey, look, we know there's a problem. Uh, we, we may not have a total plan about how we're going to fix it, but we've already taken the first important step. Yeah, quite often. Um, but But sometimes it's simply, if you've got a... And this is why you've got to build a good relationship with your with your banker. But even just go to them and say, "Hey, look, we've got some we've got some issues. Um, you know, you know, can you recommend uh, who who we might um, might talk to?" So it can happen either, you know, engaging with an advisor if you've already reached out through your contacts and found someone, or the bank might suggest a few names for you to talk to. And that's the that's a great way to start the relationship uh, because then they know you're being open, transparent, and and that's. That's the biggest issue that that bankers have, is you don't ever want to get to sit to, into a situation where they think you're hiding things from them, and uh, perception becomes reality. Mm. And you know, once you go down that road, it's very difficult to rebuild trust with a banker if they already have a perception that you're hiding things from them. Yeah, which they're not going to like because obviously they've got their own reputation, which is uh, which is on the line if things go bad with you. Uh, plus, of course, as you mentioned, this uh, big uh, factor, which is the thing that's changed most, this uh, the, the change to the structure of the internal cost of capital, which can skyrocket if it moves to a workout banking team. You know, we've seen the huge increase in cost of capital. Banks have to borrow a lot more money from the equity markets to have these liquidity buffers to deal with uh, the number of files that go into workout. So they are working more and more um, to, to, to make sure your business survives. And that's the mentality that you, we've got to get out there to, to um, you know, business land is, is, is things have changed dramatically in the last five, 10 years. You know, the banker is no longer you know, perceived to be no longer the enemy. Um, they are very much your ally and, and, and they, want, they want your business to survive as much as you do. So I guess the, the thing is to keep in touch with your bank so that they don't feel like you are just getting in touch with them when things are bad. Uh, keeping them up to date seems to be a key part of it all, doesn't it? Absolutely. Keep working on that even when you don't need them because you never know when you will. And that, uh, that's, a, that's a great point. All right. Good, a good one to end with. Call your bank today. Uh, <laughs> that's our takeout message. All right. Great to talk. We'll catch you again soon on the Vantage Performance Podcast. Thanks for your time. Cheers, Phil. And that's it. Till next time, uh, make sure you subscribe on iTunes or keep checking back at the Vantage Performance website uh, to keep up on the uh, latest episodes of the Vantage Performance podcast. That was Michael Fingland. I'm Phil Dobby. We'll catch you next time. Thanks for listening. 